right, well, welcome everybody. It is Thursday, it is one o'clock, so that means it's time for our weekly school leader community call. And um, I wanna first uh, thank our, our guest for being on today, Dave Machado, and all of the, all of the school leaders uh, who have given their time. Um, if you can see the screen, uh, Katie and Rhonda today went through all of the trainings, all of the calls we've done since March 14th, and I think there's 15 of them or so, 15 or 16 calls. So thank you all for investing that time. So in the chat box, I put a, um, a survey. So if you get you know five minutes during this call or um, in the next day, give us some feedback on, on what you liked most about these calls, uh, what you'd like to see in the future, and how we can best uh, support you. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to my partner and friend, Rhonda Dillingham. Rhonda, you've got the floor. All right. Hey, everybody. Hope you're having a great Thursday. About to wrap up the week. Friday's around the corner. That um, survey that we have created for you, it's only three questions, but it will provide us a lot of feedback. You know, the best and most effective teachers are the ones that reflect on their practice. And we are exactly the same. We reflect on our practice. So we want to know how we've done so far and what we can do in the future to serve you. So we have on our call today, um, my friend Dave Machado, the director of the Office of Charter Schools. And we invited Dave today because we know that you have lots of questions and um, Dave has the answers. <laughs> so thanks for being on the call, Dave. You're quite welcome, and I'm not sure I have all the answers, but what I don't have, I'll try to run down and get back to everybody. But thanks for all the right. opportunity. Thank you for the opportunity to, to join this call. I really do appreciate it. Oh, we're glad to have you. So let's jump right in. I know the question that we've gotten week after week after week, and I know you have the answer to this, is what about the 20-day ADM if parents aren't willing to send their children back into a building because they don't feel like it's safe. You and I spoke about that the other day, and I think that what you said will ease the minds of a lot of people. So let's start there. Okay. And I think Dr. Stegall uh, touched on that earlier in the call, if anyone was on that call also. If we have, if you have students that, or families that are not comfortable for your, put their children back into your school, uh, then you need to, if you put it into your remote instruction plan, I think it's uh, section 11 or section 13. I'm not sure which one it is. It's 11. 11? Yeah. Uh, state exactly how you are going to reach these students. And then you'll need to document that you are reaching out to these students every single day. I think uh, there's always the fear that that some schools might uh, overestimate your your ADM or might say kids are in your school that really aren't. So we you need to be able to document that you are reaching those students every single day. We have, because uh, we know that there's going to be families that are not comfortable sending their children back into a building without a vaccine or for whatever reason. You want to make sure you can, you're able to, number one, teach them effectively, and number two, let them count in your ADM. So you're going to be able to mark them present. Uh, Power School has not given us any indication that they're going to be marked different than the students that are in your building. So you'll mark them present. 
and as uh, long as you can defend that you are reaching them every single day, then uh, you can honestly say that they're there. And so at the end of the 20 days, you will get funded for your full ADM. And as it's been mentioned several times, charter schools are funded by enrollment, not attendance, but we need attendance those first uh, 20 days. But what you need to do going down the, uh, over the course of the year is, again, you, you need to provide these students remotely a great education and defend that you are reaching them every single day, whether it's Zoom. If all you're doing is sending them a packet of work and thinking that's remote learning, that is not. And, and that's where we're going to get into trouble if we try to do something like that. So I've heard some really exciting different ways that uh, some plans of reaching these children. So again, if, if you have a robust plan and you can defend that you're reaching those kids every day, then you have no problem marking them present. Hey, Dave, that's a great uh, response. And I, so I just want to uh, piggyback um, because this, there's, a, there's a question in, in the box and it sounds like, uh, so it says that the school has already made a decision that they're going to be remote only in the fall. So I don't know what you know, permissions they have, but they're wondering if they still have to submit all of their plans if that's their choice. So if that's the case, how would they be communicating that to the office that they're, that they're only going remote in the fall? Do they have that ability to just say that and do that? Um, you know, that's, that's a great question. Uh, they, they would definitely need to put it again in the remote plan. The, the guidance that we have gotten from the governor's office and DHHS is you can have a, you can have a plan with what the state says. It can't be any more restrictive. So if they say, uh, we, you got to make sure that, that if the state says you're going to use plan B, then you cannot use plan C. If they're dictating that's the plan that we're, all schools are supposed to use is B, then you cannot go all remotely. You uh, can only go remote to the students that um, you have a good reason to go remote with for whatever that may be. Does that, does that make sense? It does, right. So it sounds like, so the state kind of uh, dictates the bottom line. Yes. Yep. Um, so you had talked about the 20-day ADM. Could you give some examples of, of, of you know, ways that schools can track uh, that first 20-day attendance? Okay. If, if I was a school leader, I, obviously it, it depends on what my remote learning plan is. Am I going to use Zoom? Am I going to use uh, uh, cameras that I have a live teacher in my classroom and I'm going to broadcast to students that are at home? Uh, those are the things that you're going to need to do so the children get a good education, but that's how you're also going to document that you have reached out to them every day. Uh, I don't know if that, that answers your question, but uh, what the last thing we want to do is be accused of falsifying what where our, if those students are being taught or not. So the, the, uh, the monkey is on our backs to make sure that, again, we're educating those kids and we're documenting and we have proof that we are reaching them. Alex, would you want to comment on that? Uh, I'll put Alex on the spot if he, if he wanted to answer that question. Um, hey, Dave, and I want to go back so you can re-clarify your statement because I heard what you said. So if the, if the governor says plan B, you could only be more restrictive if you have evidences that more than 50% of your families choose not to come back. Is that because that's the leaders in the chat box are saying that's the guidance that they feel they receive. You could be more restricted, but not less. Your, the guidance that I've seen is uh, you cannot be more, uh, 
they say B and you want to do go completely remote, I'm not sure we're allowed to do that. I'll have to get clarification. And somebody has seen it somewhere else. I, I apologize for not being clear on that. But if you're, if you, if you, again, it's, it, if your families aren't comfortable coming back, then you need to find a way to, to teach them. That was my understanding. Um, this is Alex. Uh, that uh, we could, we we can go more restrictive. You just can't go less restrictive. Yeah. And, and I think uh, a lot of people. I've been having conversations with people about, you know, can we give parents a choice? And Dave has. Ha, it's come up in a couple conversations about people reaching out to him and asking, "Do I need to?" get approval to have a virtual kind of setup running simultaneously or concurrently with a, with the, the in-class uh, session that I'm giving. My, my sense is no, I think this is, a, this is a time for innovation, this is a time for autonomy in a lot of ways. And I think parents are going to make a choice, whether you say I have a, you have a choice, whether you want a remote, or to come into school if you're if we're at Plan B, which is what I think we're all expecting it will be. I think parents are parents are then going to decide. Well, and probably tell you, well, I'm, I'm not going to bring my child to school. What what how, how can I stay enrolled or what is the plan for that child? So I think you can you could offer them a choice and get, potentially have them choose. I think that you should have an option should they should they want to make that choice without you even offering it. I think it's going to be difficult to say we're at 50% and you're on the B week schedule. And if you don't show up at school, you're going to be penalized for that. I think the state is, is probably not, I don't see them putting a lot of teeth in that. So my plan would be, you know, this is when you're assigned to come to school on the whatever week or whatever it is. If parent says, okay, well, I want to, I want to opt out of that. I'd like to do remote. Okay. Then I'm like, here's your remote plan that you're on as well. So and I get I would my the way I'm approaching this as a school leader is to kind of write my ideal vision into the plan that I'm going to run, and then see if they say I can't do it. Yeah, and I apologize for the the mix up. I did get that backwards, and I apologize for that. Exactly right. We can be more restrictive. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, so the other questions coming in, Dave, are um, there's there's a couple about um, carpooling and, you know, getting students on campus. So we know, according to the toolkit, the expectation is, you know, students will be, um, you know, get their temperature taken and all those pieces. So has there been any guidance around like private carpooling? How would a school start to have you heard about how a school would start to manage their carpool lines around that? You know, again, I think that's a situation where it's going to be left up to each individual school what is the best for your community as long as you're following what the governor and DHHS guidelines are. I, I, I think that um, our leaders need to realize you've got that flexibility to do what's best for your community. I, I don't think this, the state is not going to give guidance on you know, how, you, how you cue your traffic or how you get people out. They, they want you to make those decisions as long as you're keeping your social distancing and uh, you're checking the temperature of the kids when they're coming in. Uh, you can design that and what's best for uh, you. One school that might have uh, a covered area for the kids to sit and stand in might be different than a school that doesn't have that. So the, the, I know a lot of times it's frustrating that schools feel like they're not getting enough guidance, but 
uh, thank goodness we we're able to make those decisions locally. Dave, has there been any uh, guidance yet? Uh, we know we have our BOG testing uh, for our third graders, and there's going to be some testing for our fourth graders as well. Have they started to have those conversations yet about if the school starts plan B or plan C around how to do that? There have been discussions internally, and I think they're waiting for the governor to, to make his decision before accountability comes out with, with their plan. They are talking about the different scenarios. Obviously, if it's a hybrid or a blended learning model, how how are we going to give these BOI tests? Uh, certainly cannot give them remotely, or they haven't allowed virtual charter schools to give those things uh, remotely yet. So you, you'll see that guidance after July 1st. Yeah. Um, in terms of uh, requiring masks and all those other aspects coming out of the, um, the Safe Schools uh, toolkit, there's a question about what do we do if a family refuses temperature checks or answer the surveys or thing? I think they have to have some sort of medical waiver to do that. Is that, am I interpreting that correctly? You know, I, I, I saw that question and, and the first thing that popped in my mind when I, as a school leader, what do you do with a family doesn't decide to do their homework? What, what, uh, maybe that's too simplification, but Again, I think those are decisions that, that your admin team and your board needs to decide. Uh, are you going to put the, the kid doesn't want to wear a mask? Uh, are, you, are we going to kick them out of the classroom? Uh, uh, the guidance I saw was sixth grade and up, they have to wear a mask. But how do you mandate that uh, in, in what's, what's the consequence? Again, I think that's what admin teams and boards need to decide. I haven't seen what the consequence is if someone refuses. And it could, the consequence is I'm not letting you in my school because you're not going to wear it. Or the consequence, I'm going to isolate you. Or Again, I, I think that's what each individual school should be uh, asking themselves. Yeah. yeah, I would agree. Local decisions. And, and, and if not, you know, you can contact your local health department for uh, yes. support and education. It seems to be in a lot of the threads, I'm in a lot of the uh, conversations around education of children and families of why we're doing it and really sticking and adhering to your core values of your organization, uh, that it's our goal, you know, you know, regardless of your personal beliefs about we're trying to keep everybody safe here. So um, uh, to do. We so, have a question about um, immunity for schools to reopen uh, from Hadley and I know that that was addressed in House Bill 118, giving limited immunity, and it has passed the House and the Senate, and it's gone to the governor. Do you have any um, further thoughts about that, Dave? No, I um, I don't have any uh, any idea. Of, uh, no thoughts about it, and I'm, and I'm at point honestly, I'm not even aware of the that House bill that you're referring to. So I apologize. Okay. What other questions do we have? Yep. Uh, so there are some questions about similar to what you just asked about the communication coming out, you know, Dave. So, so I think, so can you remind everybody on the call uh, what days your DPI calls are? Cause I feel that they've changed recently and there might be some confusion. So can you clarify when the office is communicating to everyone so we can get that you know clear because it looks like folks are concerned about the july 1st and how do they stay in touch with you all okay um the call we have with dr stigall and dr emery is every other thursday now 
had one today. The next one will be in two weeks, which is state board. So that might get moved. So we will communicate now. We have three lists, distribution lists that the Office of Charter School works off of. Number one is we have a list of charter school leaders. The, the leader that is in Eddie as the number one leader, whether it's the person that calls themselves the superintendent, the director, um, and, and we have that list. Sometimes we send things to just that leader or we're asked to send it to just the charter school leader. Then we have another list, which is our daily blast, which you should be getting every single day from our office. We used to send it out twice a day. Now we're sending it out uh, usually mid-morning. You get that from Georgia Maimoni. Uh, that, is, that is a list of all our charter school leaders that are listed in Eddie, plus any other administrative person in a school that's asked to be put on that list. Uh, when we first started doing the blast, I was assuming, and we know what assume does to us, that the leader would in turn send it to their admin team or whoever it needed to be. Then we were getting questions, uh, can, can you please add me to this list? So we added those people on that list. And then we have our uh, newsletter list that anybody can sus subscribe to. So a lot of the questions that were on, uh, that were coming in the call we just had is, who's sending this out? When did we get it? Um, all the information that Jessica sends out, anything that um, Dr. Stegall, Dr. Emery, Mark Johnson want to send out, they send it to us and then we in turn send it on our uh, different list. The daily blast list is uh, the ones that everybody that's probably on this call should be getting, you sh should be paying attention to. It's uh, the charter school leader that's listed in Eddie and any of his team that have asked to be on that. So, uh, and a lot of times what we're doing is we get an email from Jessica and we turn around and send it out in our next blast. And we sometimes we say pay attention to this or we just send it out. So be looking for those daily blasts. We when COVID-19 first started, we were sending it as soon as we were getting, and you guys are getting bombarded with emails. So we decided to uh, consolidate them and then do it in one day. And then of course, we try to put everything in our newsletter on Friday. Hope that answered your question. How would they get on the list that the uh, daily uh, blast, Dave? Is there a link or they email Georgia or? Email, email Georgia. Um, we want to keep that list to charter school uh, leaders and their teams. Uh, we have some board members that have asked to be on it. We'll put them on you know, if, if, you know, like you and Rhonda need want to be on it. We have no problem with that, but we don't want it to be as big as a list that goes out on our newsletter list. We, we want this to be people that need to be reacting to the information we're sending out. So the call is back Thursday at noon, Dave. Is that, is that what I heard? Yes. Every other Thursday? Okay. Every other Thursday. I didn't know that. Unless it conflicts with state board of ed and they'll have to make some adjustment. Uh, on that, but we will certainly notify you right away. All right. Uh, there were a couple questions, Dave. I don't know um, if you're going to know some of these. These are these are tough ones. So um, there's a question about if they go over alternative days for students and teachers, and uh, how do they? Is there schools that have a list for a daycares? It looks like they're trying to find daycare for the for the kids of employees that are on a B schedule. And I don't know if you know of any, you know, schools that are already, you know, being innovative with that or have some answers to how, how do you care for those employees children? Right. Again, that's a, that's a local decision that each school is going to have to, to uh, work out, whether they work it out that they provide their own, some sort of daycare, they, they work with a uh, local daycare that that's a situation that each individual charter school um, 
will need to organize for their staff. Yep, looks like there's a couple of schools doing it. And then there's um, support for uh, students with disabilities on AB Day. Uh, you know, Dave, um, you know, obviously every uh, special ed um, school has their, you know, regional consultant, but what are, you know, uh, what are some things that leaders should be thinking through to ensure that their students with disabilities are served if we go plan B or plan C? And I'd suggest that you contact the EC department or your charter school EC consultant, uh, Rob McOut and his team, if you have some specific questions. But obviously you must uh, be able to meet all accommodations for uh, students' IEP. Uh, and how you're going to do that remotely is the same way you did it when we were all required to go remote. So uh, you, for further guidance, I would suggest you contact the EC department on, on that. But uh, you, that is very important that those IEPs are in 504s, our accommodations are met, whichever means you use to educate your children. Thanks, Dave. Um, so a couple of questions, if you can look in your um, crystal ball here, because I know you have one, right? Uh, so schools are going to be having to look at attendance for the 2021-2022 year and expansion and all those pieces. So uh, because we haven't had um, report card grades, some schools are kind of stuck with, you know, getting off the list. So can you give some insight into how schools will be planning for the future um, without those uh, certainties in place? Yeah, and I, I saw that question. That, that's a great question. Um, right now, uh, um, if you're low performing or continuing low performing TSI, CSI school, you just got moved to the next year. There was no way to get off that list. And obviously, because there's no um, in the grade test this year, you had no opportunity to, to continue to show growth. Um, if this, if there's no testing next year, I think that uh, that is going to have to be addressed. Some of that is federal regulations and some of it is state. So, uh, no, I don't have an answer for that. And it's unfortunate for the schools that have been working extremely hard to get out of that situation. Uh, we've had uh, detailed discussions with CSAB leadership about how does this affect our renewal schools? Uh, and we want to make sure that they are held harmless because we have a lot of schools that have worked really hard and been showing growth, exceeded growth. And they, if we had good scores this year, they might've got a 10 year renewal versus maybe a, a seven and a five. So we certainly want to hold the schools harmless for this, but um, I do not know what's going to happen. And they're going to have to address that if there's no uh, standardized test next year. Yeah. Um, another good question about if, if the governor allows parts of the state to open regionally differently, how, how might that impact you know, uh, schools? Will they be able to choose the plan that best meets them? Or um, I know we've already agreed to that we, we have to at least minimum meet the governor's restrictions. Uh, so I don't know if that's been a conversation about regional openings. Yeah, and, and I'm not sure that's going to happen. Um, I'm not hearing that they would do it regionally. It makes sense to me that, that they should do it regionally, but uh, depends on what region you're in, whether you want to follow that or a more restrictive uh, environment. So, but I Everything I'm hearing, I would assume that it's going to be a statewide decision. And Dave, I'm, I'm completely ignorant to this uh, question, so forgive me. Someone asked about a status of residency license? Yeah, that's a great uh, question, a great issue. Right now, uh, charter school 
teachers are not eligible for a residence license, which took the place of uh, lateral license. And we kind of found out this by accident. Uh, because the statute says that um, schools that are run by a local board of education, it doesn't say, say LEA, but it says local board of education. Some EP, EPPs are interpreting that, that that only means LEAs. So uh, we totally disagree with that. We've been talking to State Board of Ed and Superintendent's Office, and we're being told that this is going to take a uh, legislative fix. Freebird um, and uh, the superintendent's lobbyists, I think the association and the coalition's lobbyists are very aware of it and they're working really hard. Um, we thought we were going to get this fixed at this session right now. We're being told now that they might not because they they're, uh, don't think they can get it past the, they were going to put it in a bill that they thought the governor might veto. So right now, charter schools are not eligible for residency license, which puts us in a huge bind because that replaces the old lateral entry license. We're, our office is working on it. We're working with all our stakeholders and the lobbyists to try to get this fixed. I don't know why it's such a hot potato in the General Assembly, but we thought it was a pretty simple fix. I was told this morning that if a charter school teacher is applying for a resident license through DPI and not a EPP, uh, Tom Tomlinson said he would. Uh, approve that. So we got a little uh, relief on that, but we're, we have to get that fixed with the, at, at the General Assembly level. So Rhonda, if your team can continue to work on that, that would help a lot. Definitely. Yeah, that's a huge issue. And we need our charter schools to have access to the uh, to these teachers who are interested. So we know, um, you know, it's hard to find good teachers especially in certain areas like EC and uh, math and that sort of thing. So yeah, we're working on that. Right. Yeah, I, I see Ted's quite, uh, comment about ECU. Um, that's one of the uh, issues, one of the institutes that we've been having an issue with. They're the ones that sort of brought it up at first. So uh, um, yeah, it, it's, it's, it just takes a, it should, needs to take a, be a technical correction at the General Assembly so our teachers have access to a resident license. And uh, with us, with charters only having to have 50% of our teachers licensed and then get them licensed after that, this is a, uh, this is a problem for us. So again, we're aware of it and we're trying to do everything we can to get it corrected. Yeah, Dave, so there's, there's a comment right there at the end. I see you're looking at them. So, so just to be clear, obviously they could still work at your charter school as long as they meet the requirements of they have a college degree, right? That but what they but they would not count towards licensure is what is what you're saying basically correct correct if if they weren't able if you hired them and they were not able to get a residence license you could still hire them as long as your uh, fifty percent of your teachers are still licensed right so we have a question that says how do we renew the already hired residence licensed teachers for year two. I would I would contact uh, um, licensure or Tom Tumberland, the teacher effectiveness, and ask that question. And when you ask that question, if you'll CC me, I'll make sure to follow up with them. That that's a that's a uh, question that licensure is going to have to answer. If a person is already in the residence license program, 
they they've already been approved, so they should have no problem getting it renewed. But Dr. Tumberland would be the one to answer that question. And if you don't have his email address, if you send that question to me, I'll forward it on to him. Yeah, I'm going to put it in the chat box. Okay. Hey, Dave, there's a question. If um, in a hybrid model, can our school hours and our day be broken apart for in-person and some virtual? So I guess I'm, I'm just interpreting that as maybe the mornings in person and the afternoons, you know, virtual, or can you speak on that one? I don't know if you saw that a question in the survey. Yeah, so we've got schools that I've talked to that are doing half days in the morning for half their school, half days in the afternoon for the other half, uh, in all different scenarios. And then they say, well, what about the, what about seat time and those sort of things? So yes, you can, you can put plans like that together. Again, you just, the, the issue that you need to be able to defend is that those students are being given a good education. And if you're just teaching a kid, a student, half a day in giving them assignments in the afternoon, um, again, as long as you can defend the fidelity of that education, you, you should be fine. If, if you're not reaching those students at either one of these platforms, that's when we're going to get into a lot of trouble. And again, the scenario I used earlier, if, if all you're doing is giving them packets on Monday and collecting on Friday, well, you know that's not a, a, a good education, and that's the ones that are going to get you in trouble. So, so to answer your the short answer, Tom, is yes, you can, uh, yeah. that will be allowable. Yep, just has to be part of your plan. Make sure you, you're very clear in your plan. Uh, there is a question about physical education uh, credits. So I don't know if there's been any conversation around that. How would they you know, track that and what, what, are, what are they responsible for? Yeah, um, we haven't received any guidance as far as it being excused, not excused. I think, again, it's, use some credit creativity. Um, Maybe you're going to do something, have them do something at home. Uh, that, that's just where you're going to have to be innovative of how you're meeting the physical education requirements of your students, whether it's a high school student or if it's a middle school student or uh, even an elementary. You, you're going to have to be creative. Obviously, to have a student have PE on, they're only coming in half a day, and you really want to make sure they're getting their math and reading. Uh, you might want to do physical education as recess walking around your building or, or, or some a little downtime, but use your creativity to, to meet that. Do what's best in the best interest of your students, and I think you'll be fine. Yep. Hey, Dave, there's a question here about local per-pupil allotments. I know the finance and business used to collect that. I don't know if they still do. Is it, is it still just the best practice to contact your local LEAs to see, see what it is? Yeah, I, I saw that question. I'm really glad I did see that. You can go on our website, under the application uh, part, and then go into the uh, resource manual, and it's got the latest uh, local allotment for every county. It's got what your state allotment would be, it'll be what your local allotment's gonna be, what your federal allotment's gonna be. And again, it's on our website under the uh, application section, and in the application resource manual. If you can't find it, if you email me, I'll send you the link to it. But it answers that exact question. Uh, yep. Yeah, and it's always a year behind or so. So just be, just be. Yep. Right now, it's a, it's right. It's the current year we just finished. Right, right. it's the current year we just finished. It wouldn't be for the upcoming. 
Uh, so that's a good uh, question too. And there's a couple that came in about uh, funding, you know, Dave, there is, you know, in uh, legislation. So, you know, you, you know, just to encourage, you know, schools, if you have a question about how your local education agency um, comes to, to your, you know, per uh, pupil allotment, you have the right to ask them to uh, provide you uh, that uh, formula and how it came across. And so with all the potential funding coming into school systems or to local county through through like the federal government Dave what are some you know what are some things that you can share with the school leaders to make sure that they are getting you know the dollars allotted to them if they funnel through the school system <laughs> I'm not sure I got any guidance on that I know when I was at a school level and I'd get a check from Charlotte Mecca I would just, I just had to assume it was correct it seems like it takes an MBA to figure out how uh, that thing is determined but Tom, you're exactly right. They have to provide us with how this formula was done. I know that, um, I remember my last couple of years at Lincoln, Charlotte Mech would tell us what their allotment's gonna be before they even knew how many students they were gonna actually be teaching. So that didn't make any sense either. So uh, right. yep. contact uh, your uh, your local LEA. Hopefully you have a good relationship with that's exactly what I was gonna finance say. officer. And that's really important. Uh, a lot of times to don't, but, um, you really should try to establish a relationship with the key people at their central office. And uh, he, he should be able to provide you, he or she should be able to provide you that information. Hey Dave, a great a question here in the box about um, revisions to the remote learning plan. So has there been communication about expectations around if you change your plan or how you change your plan or whether it's gonna be checked up on? Like, so what are some, you know, what can school leaders do you know, to be better uh, prepared for that. You know, that's kind of like the uh, remote learning plan. Uh, we were told about a week before <laughs> the deadline, hey, Dave, we need you to be looking at these plans. And okay, so that's what we're doing. Uh, and that's what Shonda Cooper did a great job with. We're assuming the same thing on the remote learning plans that when they're in, somebody from our office or several of our consultants will be looking at them with uh, DPI to, uh, approve them and give feedback right away we were supposed to give feedback to on the re remote learning um, excuse me on the um, jumpstart plan within 48 hours we'll be prepared to do the same thing on uh, these plans so so if a school has to make an amendment or if they just you know decide to make an amendment come like august 16th is that something that they communicate to you like in a normal yeah, process yes yeah it would not it's not going to require an amendment they just need to let us know and if there's any reason why that's not possible, we'll let them know. If not, we'll add it to their plan. Yeah, this this should be a fluid plan based on the current uh, conditions. Now, a lot of people might not know this day, but I'm gonna tell a story about you that you're one of the most innovative charter leaders ever to uh, grow his enrollment by creating a second school um, within the county, right? So as we look forward, uh, you know, potentially some schools may have a lot of success with a hybrid, you know, model. Um, what what might a school leader be uh, thinking through over the next you know couple of years if they want to you know create a school that's a blended learning model? Um, what what would they have to do through the authorizer? Well, I, I really can't take credit for Lincoln's having two campuses. That was written by the original charter writers, and it was right after they were approved, they were grandfathered. That would be the only charter school in the state that could have two distinct uh, campuses. Because at the, at that time there was a cap of 100, so they realized that they gave every school 
every charter two campuses. Now we have 200 schools. So they stopped that pretty quick. And that's where there's a law that actually defines a charter school. Call it the Dave Machado law. It's that's uh, right. <laughs> you know, and I've been, I've been asked this question several times. Well, if we wanted, if we're going to go remote and I have a school of 500 students and we're going to go to, we're going to have a blended learning or a, uh, we're gonna, the students who want to do remote say there's a hundred of them. So that means I have a, I have openings for another hundred students in my uh, school. Can I add those hundred students? No, you cannot do that. You you are still capped by the number of students your charter is allowing you to have. So uh, that would not be a good idea. Uh, you would be going above what you're allowed to to grow to, and you you don't want to get where you you have what I would call a virtual academy within your school. We know that word's being used a lot with district schools. You should use a blended model. So it does not take any kind of amendment at our office or with State Board of Ed. So uh, that's what I would recommend. And um, if you were to hypothetically add those extra 100 students and then we go back to being normal if we ever do, what are you gonna do with those extra students in your building? So uh, just use the plan for your existing uh, population. Right, so I was asking if, if a school down the road wanted to turn into that model, would that be something that comes to the advisory board to start having those conversations? Because I don't know if we have that at capacity right now to be hybrid schools. I know there's a pilot that's, you know, it's still a pilot, the policy under virtual schools, but, you know, potentially this may have to be where a lot of us move towards uh, to be able to keep ADM. Yeah, and I've been asked that question. We have several schools that are thinking about starting a, uh, a virtual academy within the same mission that they're doing. Uh, uh, quite honestly, I, I would hope we could do that through an amendment and not through another application process, uh, but we would have to get some legal advice on that. And I don't know, Alex, if you want to uh, chime in on that too, but that would definitely be a material change to your charter if you wanted to have a full-fledged virtual. I think it's something we should be looking at, but um, we it would either, I would hope we could do it through the amendment process, which would be easier than having to do a, a whole nother uh, charter application. Right, because the current amendment process, it specifically says curriculum. Right. Doesn't necessarily say education plan or anything like that. So that's why people might get confused there. We had a school, we had one of our existing schools talk to us quite a bit about where they, they wanted to, to, to do that. And, it, and it basically we looked at it as that's a school within a school. And um, we don't think, uh, that would take state board of ed uh, approval. That's three months. This, we could not get it approved before school started. Again, I suggest that you do the blended model. That way you, our office can plan, uh, approve it and you can get it done before school starts. So cool. I think we need to be strategic with what we ask for. Hey Dave, for the school year, uh, if there's any um, students or uh, teachers who test positive for coronavirus, is that communication going to go to the state or just the health departments or do you guys have any guidance around that yet? I haven't seen anything where it says it has to go to the state. I, I believe it, it would definitely needs to go to the local health department and they would probably communicate that with, uh, with the state. And I would certainly recommend that you send a, something to your school to say that this, somebody has been tested positive and you, you're following the, proper procedures, whether it's a teacher or a uh, student. Obviously, you don't want to name the teacher or the student, but the whole school should know about it. Um, obviously, it's not like a lice 
situation, but that's how those things are uh, um, done. Uh, if a license situation comes up in a particular class, we always send a letter to the other parents in the class. Now, I don't want to say that lice and COVID-19 are exactly the same, but I would try to heat treat it about, I would handle it uh, similar. Mm -hmm. So I want to make sure we get a chance to recap in case, you know, folks came in late. So, you know, I know uh, Rana's got some notes and Dave, I want to make sure you, you know, you've got some final words, you know, with everybody. So, you know, thank you for giving your time today. Um, you may or may not know this answer, but legally, can you communicate the class that the COVID-19, you know, came through? Do you, you know, do you know, like if someone has it in a class, could you say, oh, it's Tom Miller's class who had it. So everybody in there or, you know, best, best decision would be to do what? How would you uh, communicate it? I mean, really, it's probably going to be your school's going to be shut down for three days, no matter what, for the cleaning and then move forward. Or have we heard about this? I don't want to give you a bureaucratic answer, but uh, you'll need to consult your school attorney for that one. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, uh, I wouldn't want to give bad information, but uh, I, I, you, you got some privacy laws that uh, would need yeah. to be followed. I, I would think you'd be okay, but I would say consult your attorney. Sure. Great advice. So, and I apologize for the bureaucratic uh, answer. That's exactly what it should be. Look, this is what, you know, the answers that you've given us are the stuff that we've really been talking about. Most of this is a local decision. You need to run your organization, make the decisions best for your organization. And that comes from, number one, you follow the guidelines by the governor and you could be more restrictive, but not less restrictive. That's one thing that we definitely said out loud. Two, if you need to take attendance for the ADM, you need to have some real strong proof of every single day you're educating students, not just throwing them packets of work, right? And that may, and that's how you would count ADM, and it has to be spelled out in your remote learning plan due July 20th, right? So those were two things in particular that we that we had addressed. We know the accountability department is, you know, talking about what those, you know, beginning of the year, you know, testing requirements may or may not be, um, you know, depending on what plan. Uh, the uh, governor states. Uh, what else did we learn, uh, Rhonda? Those were my, you know, big three uh, takeaways for sure. Well, we're working on the residency license uh, issue. And um, as Dave stated, <clears throat> that seems like a simple fix. But in my experience in the last three years as executive director, what I think is simple sometimes the legislature doesn't. <laughs> so the association and the coalition and our um, lobbyists will continue to work on that. Yeah. Uh, Dave, I have a question for you. Uh, this is not necessarily, it's not COVID related, but have you gotten any, um, any notice lately from schools that they've gotten public records requests? And do you have some um, guidance on that for them? It seems like a lot of our schools have gotten the same record request from some organization. And um, again, I just say consult your attorney. I'm not, if, if the person that's asking for these records, they don't have to really identify themselves or, or why they want it. Uh, if your attorney feels like this is a legit, then you're going to have to provide it. And it's, what they're asking for is extremely uh and extensive. So I, I would consult your attorney. You don't have to provide, you don't have to manufacture anything, but if, if these documents are, are already available in some form, you do have to provide them. And again, 
you can charge if, if you have to make a lot of copies uh, and uh, it might take a long time to do it. But I've, I've community, I've had a lot of schools call me about that exact same request. I don't know who those people are. Uh, I, I would consult whether that's a legitimate request. Tom, um, can we unmute Lisa Gordon Stella? Because I know she and I have talked about this recently. And for those of you who aren't aware, Lisa is an attorney who frequently works with charter schools and she might have some further guidance on it. She, I don't know. Go to unmute. Lisa, you there? I'm here. I'm muted, I think. No, you're oh, good. No. You're good. Just um, anything else you want to say about public records requests? Sure. Um, so the organization that submitted that public records request to many, many schools did do this a few years before. Um, they are an organization that um, focuses on government transparency um, from, you know, the top of the states all the way down to LEAs and city councils. Um, it is a legitimate public records request, and um, you are supposed to comply with it. Um, there, you know, I would consult your attorney, as Dave mentioned, but the reality is you can't just ignore it because the documents requested are public record documents. Um, I will say I've had, a, a, depending on the how the charter school does their accounting, I've had charter schools where they were able to create, you know, just create a printable document or an electronic document in like 10 minutes to provide the information that they requested. And then others that said it's gonna take them a very long time. Uh, I think Acadia is on the call. They are probably dealing with responding for many schools. Um, but the, the reality is, is that no one has to identify themselves to ask for that information. It's public information uh, and you risk um, it's at your peril to ignore it. They did give me a, um, a um, clarification, which is the um, request is for the 1819 fiscal year. Because if you recall, they, they were doing it based on a, um, a traditional fiscal year. And I said, well, charters are typically on a July 1 to June 30th fiscal year. So they said that they wanted it for the last completed fiscal year, which was 2018-19. Um, and they asked for it electronically, so there actually should not be any copying involved. Um, and the, tr and the uh, public record statute that says that um, the preferred method of communicating public records is electronically. Um, so there really shouldn't be a need for copying that would generate any fee to the entity. And the public record statute only allows for costs that are above and beyond um, your normal costs for um, for creating something, um, which is an attorney question as to what what that would be. Thanks, Lisa. Is that that's comprehensive enough. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's helpful. Thank you very much, uh, Dave. Um, any guidance to schools on how to handle? situations where staff are unable or unwilling to come back in the physical building and I know Lisa can talk about that too. Yes I, I think it's important that our charter school leaders realize that your employees are employed by your 
local nonprofit board. They're not state employees. They're considered state employees when it comes to benefits, but they are hired by your nonprofit board. So what, whatever your employee policies state, that's what you should follow. And to make sure that you're not in violation of any state or federal labor laws. But I see a lot of questions about um, leave times and things like that. That that you just need to follow your your charter schools um, employee policies. That's why you have those policies, and that's what you should follow. Uh, you're not a they're not part of the you're not a they're not state employees, so you don't have to worry about what does the state say about this or state say about that. Again, as long as you're following you're not violating any state or federal labor laws. You just need to follow your policy. So that's why it's important to have well thought out, um, evaluated policies. And because in case that, you know, you never know when you're going to have to apply something like that. And that's why it needs to be really uh, well written and well thought out. Uh, Lisa, you a, excuse me, Ron, I'm sorry, but if I was a school leader, I would obviously show as much kindness and, grace as I could for these teachers that are uh, scared about going in back into the building. But again, uh, just follow your, 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 pol your employment policies. Rhonda, I'll jump in here. Um, I couldn't agree more with you, Dave. Um, it's absolutely the case. You have to follow what you put in your, in your handbooks and make sure you understand what they say. And now's a good time to think about, do we need to update them in light of COVID? because this is unprecedented times. Um, I know that the association has sent out a number of, um, of policies to help you through this um, related to what your obligations are. Um, remember that you do have two federal obligations under the Families First Act. One is the, ex the expanded family medical leave, which applies to all charter schools, all businesses, provided you have five, under 500 employees. So it's typically, you think of FMLA as if you have over 50, but this is an FMLA that's, if it's under 500 employees, there's no bottom number. And for those, that's 12 weeks of paid leave at two thirds of an employee's pay for a situation where that employee um, does not have childcare due to COVID and, or school due to COVID. So that's one situation. Then there's also the Emergency Paid Sick Leave Act which provides six different reasons for an employee to take two weeks of paid leave. And again, that's, uh, the, that's paid leave. For both of those, you do get a tax credit. Um, but, and, and those are only once, th those, those laws only apply to the end of this year unless Congress reauthorizes them. Um, but then aside from both those two types of leave, if your employee has an issue with their personal health, they're in a high-risk category, it's important that you have a confidential conversation with them if they're concerned, and you have to have that conversation in light of the Americans with Disabilities Act, because for some of these things, they're gonna fall under that act, and you can't just tell someone to come to school and buck it up. Um, if it's a concern related to a family member or someone that lives in their household, that's not covered by any state or federal law um, other than the, the emergency paid sick leave, which allows you to take two weeks off for a family member. But, but other than that, it has to be the employee's 
health issue, not a family member's health issue. And to that end, remember that the emergency paid sick leave is a one-shot deal at the two weeks. So there's six reasons, but you don't get two weeks off for every reason. So if you use your two weeks because you're sick, you, you don't get two more weeks under, this, under that law if a family member is quarantined. Um, but you have to have those policies in your handbook. You have to provide notice to all your employees about them. We did send out, Rhonda, I think yesterday, or we were sending out a policy that has uh, the emergency paid sick leave, the expanded family medical leave, and a statement about the expectations for employees to come back to work and if they have concerns to, to go to you and talk to you. I would use those as a jumping point to look at your policies and, um, and make sure you are dealing in kindness and compassion to circle all the way back to what Dave was talking about earlier about, you know, what, you, what are you going to do if a staff member doesn't or a, a kid doesn't wear a mask and you have a policy that says they have to wear a mask. Well, another thing to think about when you're thinking about it, uh, enforcing those types of policies is the situation with your employees. You may have teachers in your school that are at high risk or higher risk than other teachers. For those classes, you might be a little more stringent on what policies, you, how you enforce those policies, because it matters a little more, because it's the masks that protect the teacher. And so, um, you know, all of these things are local decisions, and they should be local decisions, because each of your schools and even each of your classrooms is different. So just keep all of these things in mind as you're going forward, because they are they are complicated and there isn't, you know, you know, Dave can't wave a magic wand. I certainly can't wave a magic wand and say, here's what you have to do for every situation. I wish that um, I could. Someone had a question I see. The, Rhonda, you are sending out the policies that we that I talked about. Yeah, uh, I sent it out yesterday. And if you didn't get, if you're not getting my emails, then put your email in the chat box and I'll add you to my listserv. One thing I did want to add about what Lisa said about policies that the association shares, these are sample policies. And we always advise you to make sure you um, take into consideration the unique needs or mission of your school and then to always make sure you get um, legal counsel from, you know, before you adopt uh, anything that we send out. So again, they're samples. Hey, Rhonda, you know, and I want to be really respectful of Dave's time. Um, yes. and so, I, so I want to make sure there was one more huge learning I thought that I heard Dave say, everybody, and that's about renewals or expansion or any of those aspects of you, if you have potentially um, are looking to grow or you know coming forth to the charter school advisory board regardless of there being state data it's your responsibility to like demonstrate your vitality and your success so you know what are some ways you know Dave that would be really helpful for uh, school leaders to be able to you know track that types of information obviously you got the performance framework make sure you're in compliance Obviously, you've got your annual financial audits, you've got your enrollment, your student attrition, your teacher turnover. Like we have a lengthy list of things that you could be collecting data on yourself to demonstrate long term sustainability, you know, success. And I know that's not specifically in policy, but it certainly can't hurt your cause. Right, Dave? Absolutely. And uh, the schools that are using uh, map testing or using NC check ins. Uh, you 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 should 
continue to do that and keep that data. We we had a school that uh, several schools that have asked for either expansion had no data, and we were showing them what uh, uh, NC Virtual Academy. Uh, we we showed State Board of Ed what their uh, NC check-in and their map testing was to show that they were making some progress. So if you're using alternative benchmarking, uh, keep that data really well and keep um, keep a list of, of the innovative practices that you're using. I, I tell you, I get asked that all the time at the state board level. Hey, Dave, give me some examples of the innovation that's being done in your charter schools. That comes up all the time with the uh, annual report. So keep it a keep a record of those, and, and we want to we want to share those with uh, with you. We we use Epicenter to ask for a lot of this information, and we send out these requests. We're using it so we can communicate to our stakeholders, whether it be the General Assembly or the State Board, the great things that our charter schools are doing. So please do uh, respond to that. And uh, and if there's a, you're going to ask for a request that we feel probably won't pass. The State Board might not approve it. Maybe CSAP will. I'm going to be real honest with you, but if if the Charter School Advisory Board recommends to the State Board, then I'm going to stand up there and advocate for you really hard. Um, so uh, again, if but before that process even starts, I'm going to I'll be very honest with you know this is going to be a tough battle. But if you want to do it, let's you know here's what we're going to need to get it passed. Yeah, I would say that the Charter School Advisory Board works really hard to make sure that whenever they have to defend something in front of the State Board of Education, that it's defendable. Uh, because you know, not everybody on the charter on the state uh, state board of education is necessarily charter school friendly. So our CSAB members have to work very hard, um, and I'll give them props for that. Yeah, and the state board of ed is getting less and less charter friendly um, due to the the recent appointees. So we we got to be uh, we got to definitely be prepared and be able to defend what we take in front of the state board. Absolutely. And if, if I can touch on a, one thing, and I hope it doesn't start a 15-minute conversation, but um, our office in CSAB leadership is very aware of the issues that we're having with the BT plan. They're saying that we have to use, um, you have to use NESIS, and if you are not using NESIS, you have to uh, uh, use a plan that's been approved by a third party. We were always under the assumption that we were that third party. Uh, this is a this is a huge issue. We actually, even discussed it this morning with CSAP leadership. I'm going to call on Rhonda and her lobbyists and the coalition, their lobbyists, and State Board of Ed lobbyists. We got to get this corrected. And the one good thing is all State Board policies, as all policies in North Carolina, have to go through the rules process. And we're really hoping that this policy gets kicked out because it is contrary to statute. So I know I've had a lot of communication with leaders saying. This doesn't make any sense. It's not fair, and and I agree. So, please know we are working on trying to get that corrected. It's not going to be an easy lift, though. Well, this is one of those areas where it's a great example of where we have to fight for our flexibility to preserve it. Um, and sometimes that means we have to add everybody into the fight. It's you know if it affects you, it probably affect someone else. So um, this is a perfect example of that. We've got to work hard to preserve our flexibility. 
Hey, Dave, it's very possible that this might be the first time that a lot of people might be meeting you or hearing you on this call. So this is exciting for you to meet them. Can you just share real quick in, you know, two minutes, uh, you know, the goal and the vision of the office, right? And then, and then who's, you know, working for uh, charter schools within DPI and these conversations and on like the task force. And can you just educate, you know, folks what's actually happening so they know, so they don't uh, misinterpret uh, what's actually happening out there? Okay. Uh, I think my philosophy of the Office of Charter School is we want to be a uh, we want to be as customer friendly and as possible to all of our stakeholders. And I consider all charter schools our customers and our clients. So I, whenever I'm talking to a group of charter school leaders, I tell them I want to be your the first call you make, not the last call, in case you're running into issues or you have questions. We are not too busy for you to call or email us to answer your questions. We want to advocate for you and your needs, and we need to know what, what your needs are. like to work hard with uh, stakeholders to make sure regulatory creep doesn't keep coming in, because we know that that is, that's happening. Obviously, we, we have uh, six consultants plus an administrative assistant, and then we have four consultants that are with the uh, NC Access program, the CSP grant, that federal grant that we got, really excited. We we made recommendations to state board for, I think it was 33 sub-grants, totaling about 18, 19 million dollars from everywhere from uh, new schools to expansion schools. And we do, we are in serious conversations with several schools about replicating. I think that's really exciting. And I can tell you that in my four years at DPI, all the divisions at DPI understand that charter schools are a are here to stay a big part of the educational landscape and have become very uh, conscious of making sure that we're providing services for charter schools too see you see that in the ec department you see it in accountability uh, we'd like to see a little bit more of it in licensure but um, the, the, the the entire department of public instruction uh, wants to serve charter schools and i think that uh that has been a good push with um, Mark Johnson as superintendent. Having Joe Mamoni as his chief of staff has been fantastic. I can tell you, Dr. Stegall, you know, my boss, is an advocate for charter schools, very supportive of, uh, of what I ask for or help I need. So uh, uh, that's kind of the way things flow at DPI. I'm not sure if that answers your question, Tom, but. Uh, uh, well, it's, it's your answer, Dave, not mine. So I want to pick <laughs> you know, what's the. You know, because when there's no faith in the future, there's no power in the present. And, and this is a movement that needs to keep on growing and getting better. And uh, I think it's important everybody understands what your office does and, and, and how you're working towards greater opportunities for all charter leaders, um, no matter what level they are across North Carolina. Right. And uh, you mentioned a performance framework and then policies have been mentioned earlier, too. Uh, we are in the process now of putting exemplar policies on our website for the performance framework. Uh, we we uh, also started, if you said it's a letter of assurance that the policies haven't changed, that we'll accept that. We've tried to make the performance framework process easier. Uh, and then the RTO, uh, we're making a big update in that. And we're also going to have exemplar policies uh, for the RTO process. So again, and that comes from direct feedback from the field and, and some people that are on this call right now. So we appreciate that feedback. We want to we continue to 
uh, improve wherever we can. That's a good thing, because I wrote that RTO process in 2013, and most people give me a lot of slack for it, Dave. So if you can. <laughs> uh, I never, the, the first month I was in this job, Joe Mamoni called me, and I thought he was my best buddy in the world, chewing me out for uh, making it do in June. I thought, oh, man, we got to change this. So we have tried to make it much uh, user-friendly. And Joseph Leterio has done a wonderful job uh, trying to do that. And I guess in uh, in in closing, all I want to say is, again, I appreciate the opportunity to be on this call. Happy to come on at any time you want me to. And, and charter leaders, you've got to realize you've got flexibility. You're not like a district that's got to deal with uh, 20,000, 30,000, 40,000 students and 50 schools. You get your community, you need to make decisions what is best for your community. And I know there's frustration amongst a lot of our leaders. Well, we need more guidance. We, we need to, in a way, I guess that's good because you don't want to do the wrong thing, but uh, you, you've got the flexibility to do what's best for your school within those guidelines. And I just encourage you to continue to do that and contact our office anytime we can help you through that process. And Dave, if you can confirm that I didn't actually give you any money to say that charter schools have flexibility and make their, that's what I've been saying for 15 weeks in a row, everybody, if anybody's been on. So Dave, if you've got a couple of minutes, you know, you're welcome to hang on. We love you. And uh, so I, I want to roll through our experts here. Um, to make sure we have time. Ron, do you have any last words about Dave? Well, I appreciate Dave. Um, you know, anytime I contact him, he is quick to reply. And I contacted him a lot when I was trying to uh, put together information for the charter school community related to the 2021 calendar. <laughs> that was really confusing for me. Uh, probably for, I hope for those of you uh, are, who are listening too, um, because, I, I, you know, it, but he, he has been um, very helpful and I really appreciate you, Dave. Thank you so much. Thank you. So let's go to Acadia. I want to make sure that Amanda has an opportunity to talk about anything finances or anything that we should be thinking through or the public records request or anything. So Amanda, I believe you're on. You should be able to unmute yourself. Hi there. Um, just regarding the public record re records requests, yes, we have been receiving requests um, by our clients, and we've just been sending them generic reports that's produced out of length, so we haven't been doing anything additional or anything um, special for these requests. We have advised our clients as well to um, consult with their legal team, um, but we haven't had any additional feedback or anything like that. All right. And the end of the year, uh, fiscal year deadlines, it's like in like five days. So, so what are folks <laughs> doing in these last five days that they haven't done yet? Anything? June 30th, well, June 30th, June 30th is a magic, is a magic day. Um, we've already passed the deadline for ordering state funds and for federal funds. That's so right. right now it's just kind of wrapping up everything, um, getting ready for DPI to pull the reports on June 30th and get them ready for the new fiscal year. So, and I think I saw, so educate me so I don't say the wrong thing. You have to order the money, but you have till December to spend it. Am I saying that correctly, some of the funds? Right, so uh, state funds, whatever expires on June 30th, you'll no longer have access to those funds. Um, as, of, as of yesterday, you can no longer order for the month of June. Any funds that carry forward, um, 
they have different dates. So just make sure you touch base with your accounting person. Some of them expire September 30th. Some of them expire December 31st. Uh, and then some of them are like your normal 27 month grants. So just make sure that you touch base, base with your financial person. So you know uh, what deadlines you have to keep in mind. Awesome, thank you, Amanda. How about Hadley from the insurance people? Hadley, you've got, I know you've got a couple of updates for us. Yes, thank you, Tom and Katie. And thank you for hosting these calls every week. We're echoing what's been in the chat. We don't know what we're gonna do on Thursdays at one. <laughs> um, but we're really looking forward to the virtual charter school conference. We've got some great sessions where we'll go over our free tools for the benefits platform. Um, that's available to all charter schools. We're having tremendous success. Um, a lot of y'all are probably renewing your benefits right now. Um, so let us know if we can help you out with those. Um, the other thing, we're gonna have a session with a risk manager um, during the conference on opening schools with COVID. It'll be after the July 1 date, so we'll have more updates at that time. Um, is there anything else I'm missing? What else? Well, I want to nail down the immunity issue. Yes, and we're going to keep working the, on the that. The insurance policies exclude uh, pandemic and viruses, and we want to make sure the schools are adequately protected. That's right. And you're also working, and you may have you know, said this and I missed it, but there's there was something you were, I know a lot of leaders are talking about how to protect the air and there's some vent systems, but you guys are in some conversations with some people that are you know, testing that and, and, and there might be some opportunities there too, right? And actually we may have a call, I think we're gonna have a call with them. We're gonna schedule them to actually talk to our leaders, right? I think that's- Yes. That's correct, yes. We have the, the scientists ready, so we'll get with you, Tom, and, and figure out a time where we can have them on to, to speak with everyone about the, it's an air filter that gets, that cleans the air. Awesome. Mm -hmm. That'd be great. Thank you both for the work. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. How about Olivia Myers from uh, Steve Joyner Consulting? Olivia, do you have any updates for us? Hey, Tom. Um, no, no updates. No new updates. Just normal end of the fiscal year. You know, your funding is restarting. So go ahead and get um, in line what you want to do for technology for next year. I know a lot of people have been asking about um, ordering things for distance learning, um, the cameras for classrooms. If you want to start live streaming, all that kind of stuff, you're going to want to go ahead and start getting that ordered um, right when your budget changes over. Olivia, what's the best way if, if, um, if, a, if a school does not know what Steve Joyner Consulting does, could you give a 30 second of kind of how you all uh, support schools uh, from that way and how they can best get a hold of you, please? Uh, yeah, sure. So we um, are a company that basically does everything an IT department would do. Um, and we come in um, and we're with our schools one day a week um, and we provide that service and you have 24 our support from us um, should you need us even though we're not always on campus um, and we can provide you know anything that you would expect from your IT department um, and I will link my um, email address down here you can shoot me an email and Steve and I are both um, willing and able to do remote sessions with you we can do some zoom calls if you want to talk about what kind of services or if you want a free consultation or you just have some questions we're happy to help yeah, and I can attest, uh, two years ago, I think it was, Olivia, two years ago, I did the 360 evaluation of your organization, and the survey yeah. data came back that uh, we get more accomplished through an online remote technology you know, group than we do with our in-house person. That was, that was pretty much the most common answer. So if you're not sure, 
you know, you could just reach out to Olivia and find out more about how, because there's going to be a lot of unknowns that you're going to have. You don't want to be, you know, sitting in a silo trying to figure this out if you're going to continue. As we all know, we're going to have a plan B and plan C is, you know, common. So, so you have to be prepared and more prepared in what you were. Uh, so, so let them help you look into the future. So look into their group. And, and Olivia, will uh, you all be um, at the uh, conference too? Will you be hosting a session? Uh, we do not have a session um, specifically on this one. Um, but like I said, we're available if anyone wants to learn more. Okay, great. All right. They, they have generously sponsored the virtual conference and I appreciate that. Yeah. Awesome. Yes. <laughs> All right. Did I miss anybody? So we talked to Lisa. Lisa, I think Lisa left us. So we had Amanda, Hadley, Olivia. Um, all right, Rhonda. What do you have to say here, my friend? Hey, well, Rhonda, you, Rhonda, I'm sorry. Before you, can I interrupt you one more time? Um, uh, guys, I think Friday or Saturday is when you're going to run your EOI. If anybody on the call doesn't know what EOI is, please make sure whoever's responsible for that does it correctly. And if your data is not correct, you should, you have received multiple emails from Joseph saying it. And if one charter school does not, is not able to run EOI, it messes up the entire state. And if they'll end up running it for you, and then you're going to have to put all your information back into PowerSchool manually. So it's not only disrupts the entire EOI process, but it's going to be very labor intense for you um, also. So um, we've been working really hard to try to avoid what's happened the last couple of years where I get a call at midnight saying, hey, such, such school hasn't uh, run EOI. So again, just a friendly reminder, make sure your data is correct and uh, you run EOI. Hey, Dave. Yes. Who would they specifically reach out to if they have not received a message? They haven't received the message, and they're probably in really good shape. But they should reach out to Joseph Letario for any any questions. And he's our. Uh, um, we were able to get Joseph on the Power School Task Force, so he is our go-to person for Power School now. Great. Yeah, because I know there's a couple of schools that have had some leadership turnover and are trying to figure out how to get into their eddy. So right. I get worried when I hear that they're not an eddy, and you just said that. We're only sending notices to these, you know, specific emails. So I think that's a big part. I mean, when I was in the office, it was always a challenge too. So yeah. finding out a way to maybe have a second, you know, person on staff in Eddie, if that's not there, might be great. But well, that's why we we sent out a questionnaire in Epicenter to get uh, the data manager's name and then the backup, so when we uh, we know who to contact because th that information is not always in in Eddie. That's a great point, Tom and. Uh, uh, yeah. So if anybody has any question about their data or power school and EOI, uh, contact Joseph and he'll help you right away. Yeah, there's there's a question about says says one of the Eddie updates says not to add grade levels until July 1st. Is that are we talking about the same thing or is that something different? That is correct. You uh, you can't update Eddie uh, until July 1st, which makes it tough for your EOI data to get in there. too, oh. and, and then. The problem with PowerSchool nationally making everybody take this test to get certified, uh, and we have some schools that haven't been able to pass that test, and now they can't get their information corrected. So um, it's, it's, it's been challenging, but we'll get through it. Well, you know me, Dave. I got 700 on my SAT, so no, <laughs> no, uh, no PowerSchool test for me, please. So uh, I'm glad I didn't have to take it either. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I've heard that it's not easy. It is not. 
It's, and it's very district oriented. What a surprise. Yeah. All right. All right. Thanks, Thank guys. Dave. I'm going to mute Dave. Thanks, Dave. I can't keep hot. No, I'm just kidding. Good, uh, Rhonda. You're up. Uh, okay, so I uh, wanted to add a couple of things. Next Wednesday, the association will be hosting a webinar at one o'clock on uh, health and safety aspects of the actual school building, the facility. So be looking for information about that. And then I wanted to give everyone an update on the virtual conference. At this point, we have 450 people registered to participate. I can't believe it. It's crazy, which makes it the biggest charter school conference on record in North Carolina ever. <laughs> oh, so we have some very generous sponsors, uh, the insurance people, Acadia, Steve Joyner, Leaders Building Leaders, those folks on the call today are sponsoring the virtual conference and I am very grateful for that. I wanted to just give you a quick little update on some of the sessions you might think about joining. Uh, they have to do with the child sexual abuse and trafficking law that you have to train people on every couple of years by law. Uh, we'll have session on budgeting, EC, SEL, grant writing, student recruitment. Jo Joseph Leterio will be on there with uh, the performance framework. We have uh, a racial equity class session, communications, uh, how to implement a food program at your school. So really, really valuable information. And I'd love for everyone to participate. Awesome. I would agree. Yeah, that number should be more like 900. I mean, can't they bring in all their teachers and everything too? I mean, is it pretty much open? How does it work? It's free. And <laughs> I just bought a license today from Zoom to have up to a thousand people. So come on, <laughs> get yeah. everybody on there. Yeah, I mean, if you're ever looking for a way to build capacity in your organization to, you know, uh, I mean, I know some of the, you know, presenters, uh, you know, I mean, I don't want to toot my own horn, but I I'm okay. But, you know, you got folks like Brian Carpenter and you got your keynote. I mean, you got some really like oh, high yeah. level, you know, trainers. So for your staff to be able to hear from it, it's one day out of their summertime to build capacity. And if they get one good idea, one idea, everybody, just think about how much you know, that can make a difference in your in your opening school planks. I think everybody's pretty much going to focus on opening school, right, and, and relations and communications and, you know, you know, safety. I mean, it's really going to be critical for your organization. So, you know, it doesn't cost you anything. That's why Rhonda did it, you know, this way this year. And it was her goal to have the biggest. Well, let's have the biggest times 10, Rhonda. I don't, I don't you know, one no, more is just bigger. I want 100,000 more. How about that? So. <laughs> Yeah, uh, so everybody's welcome to join us, and uh, the more the merrier. Yep, awesome. And uh, so, you know, on March 14th, you know, we had a little bit of a dream, and we said, hey, we should probably get some people together, and uh, we had our first launch call, and uh, so there's been 15 weeks of calls now, um, and we've had, I mean, Clarence Henderson, we had Joel Medley, we had, um, who else was on our call? just so many uh, speakers and, you know, leaders from all over. Uh, we, you know, grew an exceptional children's uh, collaborative out of this. We've got a teacher's, you know, group out of this. So there's so many ways. So in the chat box, we say, what am I going to do at Thursday one? Well, you're going to be working on your plan, right? Or participate in one of the other uh, collaboratives that are already occurring around you. 
um, and you know, reach out to the you know folks you've met. Uh, you know, we have ones for principals and EC directors and the teachers that'll launch back up in July. Um, so there's lots of opportunities and there's power in proximity, everybody. So uh, you no longer need new ideas. You just need execution, right? Now you have all the information you need. Now it's about taking those ideas and getting some legs under them and getting them moving to have the best first day of school ever. So uh, we will make sure that this recording is with the archives with the rest of them. Uh, please make sure that you sign your uh, staff up for the uh, conference. It's gonna be a huge opportunity for them. And if you're looking for something a little bit more, you know, a little bit intimate, then, then you know, our, our organization is going to continue to run these. But we're not going away, right, Rhonda? We're just going to not be Thursday at 1, but we're still going to be doing stuff, but we're just not going to continue to Thursday at 1. We promised we would go all the way to the end of June, and we filled our promise. There are no more Thursdays for the rest of uh, June. So uh, we, are, we are done. With I'm curious to know who has been on since March 14th. If you've been on since March 14th, put your name in the chat box. <laughs> I see some hands in the air. <laughs> oh, yay. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. It's been my pleasure to be on the call. Continue to look for my daily email updates, and we'll have legislative uh, update information in there, too. Um, and I'm here to serve you, so you reach out to me anytime. Yep. Yeah, this job's too hard to do alone. So if you know a leader who's not getting on these calls, please fool them into getting on one of these calls because they, <laughs> because they need to get the right information. So take care of your, your like EOY power school so we don't hear from Dave, whatever that junk is. Make sure you take care of that. We love you all. Have a great 4th of July. Be safe. Make sure you light the right side of the Roman candle, everybody. Look, look for that blog. It's coming. All right, bye-bye. Bye. Thanks.